our Christian culture, the cross has become a beautiful thing. But it wasn't 2,000 years ago. It was a nasty, cruel, disgusting device of torture, prolonging death, something that was shameful. But we've sanitized the cross over the years, haven't we? We sing songs like the old rugged cross, and we want to cling to it. They wouldn't have understood that song if we sung it 2,000 years ago. Or we sing that, that hymn, Embrace the Cross. Embrace the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ. Or the more contemporary song, The Wonderful Cross. Oh, the wonderful cross. During the time of Christ, the cross was a sign of shame. Something that was disgusting and repulsive to people. And I think we've lost some of that. Now we look at it and we see a symbol of the cross and we say, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that beautiful? And we forget what it was all about. I was trying to think of a, an equivalent today. What if we replaced the cross with an electric chair or a guillotine or a lethal injection table? Uh, I don't think we can still quite grasp it, but it sure would make us think a little bit more. In a prison far away stood an old electric chair, the emblem of suffering and shame. You can kind of start to substitute these words uh, in these popular songs. But we really don't get it. But knowing and thinking about how the cross was a symbol of just disgusting torture may help us better understand what Paul was writing in the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm not going to share too much this morning. We have some things we're going to experience. But I want you to notice this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Maybe someday we'll unpack this a little bit more. But knowing that the cross was not a symbol of beauty, but a symbol of death and torture and disgust, will help us better understand what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. He says, for the message of the cross is what? Is foolishness to those who are perishing. For the person who doesn't understand and accept or believe or know the thought of lifting up a symbol of torture and death and bleeding and all these horrible things, that makes no sense whatsoever. If someone were to walk in here and we had a, a big symbol, a picture of the electric chair and we were singing songs about it and it was the picture in the background of our songs and we were rejoicing in the electric chair, the guillotine, the lethal injection table, the noose, they would think, you guys are crazy. What brand of Christianity are you? That's a little bit of what it must have sounded like for people to go around exalting a guy who died at the hands of the state a cruel and unusual death. 
Paul says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. It's the power of God. You know, this weekend is a special weekend. It's not only Easter, but what's the other day it is tomorrow? April Fool's. Very interesting. A friend of mine commented on the irony of this. And somebody else made a comment on Facebook and they were saying how ironic they thought it was. And the, the friend who initially pointed it out is, is atheist. So they don't believe in Jesus. And so to them, the message of the cross is simply foolishness. It's like a big hoax, a big April Fool's joke. Ha, there is no Jesus. Ha, he didn't raise from the tomb. Ha, you Christians are all wasting your time. Have you ever been victim of an April Fool's joke? <laughs> we could share some funny stories here, I'm sure. I, I had a prank pulled on me years ago by a good friend of mine. But I didn't let him know that I was bothered by it. They had put some things in my sleeping bag while camping. Some dirt, some sticks, some rocks, whatever. I just pretended like nothing happened and I gathered those sticks and dirt and rocks and I still have them in my house. And they're gonna go in his bed someday. <laughs> Years later, he thought he was pulling a prank on me. Well, the joke is going to be on him. The joke was on me a little earlier because a few years ago, after a couple years had already passed, I shared a hotel room with him and I put them in his bed. But he came in late and he didn't sleep underneath the sheets. He just slept under, between the, the top. Well, he slept underneath the cover, but not underneath the sheets. And so I just gathered them back up put them back in the bag, I'll wait a little longer. <laughs> I was thinking this week, in fact, uh, Dante and Jeanette uh, heard this story at CVCA yesterday, or two days ago, but I had a friend who was trying to pull a prank on me, and my roommate caught him. He, was, he had snuck into our dorm room in college. He put soap in our toothpaste container. Well, containers, we didn't share toothpaste. And, but my roommate caught him, and he said, well, don't tell John. Being the good roommate, he, he did tell me. And I made a choice, and, and it wasn't the best choice, but I'll tell you what I did anyways. We decided we were going to reverse the prank and, and pull it on him instead. So I pretended as though I didn't know anything when I'd actually squeezed the soap out while he was gone. But he had planned on coming back to our room that evening to, to catch me brushing my teeth and to laugh and laugh and laugh at me as I had soap in my mouth. Well, that evening when he came back to the room, I said, you know what? I've just decided to give up teeth brushing for a while. I think people brush their teeth too much and, and I don't recommend lying or anything. I don't, I don't stand for that. This is what I did then. Uh, so, tell the truth always is the best policy. But anyways, this is what I did. And 
So he looked really disappointed that I wasn't going to brush my teeth for a while. And he said, well, when you decide to brush your teeth again, let me know. I want to be here for that day. So a couple days went by, and eventually I said, you know what, I, I am going to brush my teeth again. It's just not good to not brush your teeth. It's been a few days now, and he said, well, good, I want to be there tonight. So he came by the room that night, and I put the toothpaste on the toothbrush, and just as I was about to put it in my mouth, my phone rang. I had my roommate call me secretly on my cell phone. So I picked up the phone, and I'm talking on the phone, holding the toothbrush out, and, you know, just making it as long as possible. And then I hung up the phone from the fake conversation, and then I'm holding it in my mouth, or hand, just talking to him, and, and he's just chomping at the bit, ready for me to be the fool. Finally, I put it in my mouth, and I brushed my teeth, and seemed just normal, and he wanted to know how it was, and I said it was great. He wanted to smell my breath, hoping he would smell soap suds on my breath, but he didn't smell any of that. And he said, well, maybe you should brush your teeth again. You know, it's been so long. Maybe somehow it didn't squeeze out right. And, uh, and then we told him, the joke's actually on you. We're not the fools. Unfortunately, in this case, you, my friend, are the fool because we've been playing you this whole time. Uh, and then later he came back and stole our beds. Uh, <laughs> came into our room and there were no beds. So he had the last laugh. But I share that because it's a fun story, but it relates to this verse because there's the message of the cross and for the people who don't believe, it's foolishness. Total foolishness. How could you believe in that? Why are you lifting up a symbol of death and making it glorious? It doesn't make sense. But for those of us who believe, we say, no, we aren't the fools. This is not foolishness. It's the power of God to salvation. And anyone who rejects it, what a foolish thing to reject. What a sad thing for anyone who rejects it. You know, there are a lot of good reasons for us to believe in Christianity, isn't there? The Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, made a very bold and powerful statement. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14. He said, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Friends, if Jesus didn't come out of the tomb on Sunday morning we might as well stop meeting together because there's no point to our faith. Although even if our faith was fake, I believe that it's doing practical good in my own life. Even this hallucination, if it were. But Paul says, if Jesus isn't raised, Christianity is useless. But I believe there is very good evidence that Christ is alive. Amen? I want to show you just a very brief video clip. I showed the students at CVCA this. It's just four and a half minutes long. An introduction to a few of the many evidences and reasons for why our faith is not foolishness. Our faith is founded upon a historical reality. Watch with me.
Dude. Hey, what's up? What you reading? The Bible. You're reading the Bible? Yeah. Dude, why are you reading the Bible? For class? No, I just... Okay, so you're just reading the Bible. You're just sitting here in a coffee shop in the 21st century using state-of-the-art technology to read ancient myths for no reason whatsoever. Well... Tell me something. Are you one of those super religious people who thinks Jesus actually rose from the dead? Well, I do believe that... Do you also believe in the Easter Bunny? Santa Claus? Unicorns? Bigfoot? Ever been abducted by aliens? And do you buy into all those other ancient myths about dying and rising gods invented by primitive nomadic tribes back in the Bronze Age? No. Okay, so what's the difference between Jesus rising from the dead and all those other fairy tales? Here's the difference. My belief in the resurrection of Jesus is rational. It's based on historical facts. <laughs> facts? What facts? Well, first, Jesus died by crucifixion. Whoa, hold on. We don't even know if Jesus existed. Why should I believe your facts? Well, because the five facts I'm going to give you are backed by so much historical evidence that most professional critical scholars who study the subject accept them as true. That includes skeptical atheist scholars. Okay, so Jesus was a guy who actually existed and then got himself killed. So what? That's the first fact. Second, his disciples were convinced that he rose from the dead and appeared to them. Third, Paul, a sworn enemy of the early Christians, suddenly became a Christian. Fourth, Jesus' skeptical brother James also became a Christian. And fifth, the tomb where they put Jesus' body was empty. And those are well-established historical facts. Right, but you can't just leave it there. These facts demand an explanation. Otherwise, you've got a big hole in human history. Okay, here's an explanation. They all lied. It was a conspiracy, the most monumental prank ever perpetrated. His followers stole his corpse from the tomb and then started telling everybody he was alive. That's the conspiracy theory. The problem is it doesn't explain the facts. How do a few spineless fishermen, cringing in fear for their lives, subdue a bunch of well-armed, professional Roman guards, roll away a two-ton stone, steal a body, then hide it from a city swarming with people trying to find it? And why would they do it? The disciples had absolutely nothing to gain by lying about Jesus' resurrection. In fact, they were persecuted. And we have good historical evidence that five of them were martyred because of their claim that Jesus rose from the dead. Apparently not a single one of them ever recanted. People don't willingly die for something they know isn't true. They were there. They knew whether it was true or not. All right, another theory. The disciples thought they saw Jesus alive after he died, but it was just wishful thinking. They were stressed and just kind of hallucinating. The hallucination theory also lacks explanatory power. 500 witnesses saw Jesus at the same time, and the disciples touched him. Psychologists have shown that hallucinations don't work like that, nor does this explain the empty tomb. Okay, look, maybe there's some other explanation, but the bottom line is dead people stay dead. Rising from the dead would be a supernatural event, a miracle, and science has proven that miracles don't happen. Oh, really? When did that happen? <laughs> I don't know. I just kind of heard it somewhere. Science has not disproven miracles. In fact, that would be impossible. Why? Science deals exclusively with natural phenomena, physical matter and material processes, right? Uh, yeah. But a miracle, by definition, is not a natural phenomenon. It's supernatural. So? So a supernatural event would lie outside the boundaries of science. It's logically impossible for science to throw out any hypothesis that lies outside its boundaries. Why have I never heard this stuff before? I don't know. Maybe because it's scary? Scary? Yeah. As long as Jesus rising from the dead is just a fairy tale, like Santa Claus and unicorns, 
It doesn't threaten my little world. But if it's a fact, if he actually did rise from the dead, that's huge. It's a total game changer. And that's why it's so hard to think about it objectively. <laughs> whoa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Big whoa. Just a short little snippet, but there are so many good reasons. You know, I was leafing through a book of mine I have called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. In this book, it goes through so many lines of evidence, um, including evidence for the resurrection. And when you put it together, in my mind, you'd be a fool not to believe in it. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but for us, it's power power of God to salvation. So tomorrow, as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, we do it based upon solid historical reality. And as we're doing that, we're putting our faith in that reality, saying, I believe it, and I accept it. You see, I believe there are kind of three categories of foolishness. People who well, there are people who accuse Christians of being foolish. From the other way around, it would be foolish to deny it, from my perspective. But I think what's more foolish than any of that is somebody who says, yes, I believe Jesus lived, died, and rose again, but then doesn't apply it in their life. Somebody who accepts and believes, but doesn't act upon it. That's even more foolish than somebody who just doesn't see the big picture and doesn't believe it ever happened. What a tragedy to know Jesus was real and is real, but not to accept his word as authoritative and not to follow it. So today, we experience communion service. And it's an opportunity for us to say, not only do I believe Jesus lived, died, and rose again, but I want to act upon that reality by accepting his life, his death, his resurrection in place of mine. It's a time where we, we do something tangible. For those of you that, are, that are, uh, love to learn through doing, kinesthetic learners, it's an experience that we get to undergo today. Now, for those of you that have never been to an Adventist church on a Saturday when we practice communion, we don't do communion every single weekend like some churches do. I guess the reason is because we, we want it to, to be as meaningful as possible, and, and for some, doing it every single week might diminish the meaning, and so we said, well, let's just do it four times a year. So, so that's what we do. Uh, in a moment, we dismiss, and we do two things. The first thing we do is called foot washing, uh, and then we come back in here, and then we do the bread and the wine, the juice. But for those of you that are like, whoa, what's foot washing? As you think about the story of Jesus in that Last Supper, before they ever had the symbols, the bread and the juice, they first did foot washing. But it wasn't Peter getting down and washing Jesus' feet. It was Jesus getting down as a servant, washing the feet of all of his disciples, including the one who was going to kill him, well, betray him unto death. And at the end of that, as you read in the Gospels, Jesus said, I've done this to give you an example, and you should do this also. And we take it literally. We say, okay, if that's what Jesus did and said we should do, then we're going to do it also. And it's a little awkward, 
But I think that's the point. That's why they had servants do it. Not us regular people. Servants will wash my feet. Jesus said, no, 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 I don't care if it's awkward. I want to serve you and love you and humble myself. So here we have a couple options. You can just stay in the chapel today if that's your comfort area, preference, no problem. We'll probably even have some music playing. If you do want to participate in the, in the foot washing service, there are three rooms that are set up for it. And there's a room just for ladies, there's a room just for guys, and there's a room for families or for couples. So in a moment, we'll dismiss for that. And someone help me out. This room is set up for, for men. And then if you go out these doors here and just ask somebody, they'll tell you which room is which for ladies. I believe the preschool and then one of the kids' rooms or something. Should have asked those questions ahead of time, but oh well. After that's done, we'll all wash our hands, amen? And then we'll come back in here. We'll come back in here and we'll enjoy the Lord's Supper together before we close. Let's have a word of prayer before we dismiss. Lord Jesus, today we are grateful not only that you died, not only that you rested in the tomb on Sabbath, but we're so grateful that you came out of that tomb Sunday. Today we say, yes, I believe, and we want to act upon what you've said. Bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you back here in a few minutes.